Good morning. We have a slightly disco church this morning. Our lights are um, changing as we go. Um, you'll, you'll cope, I'm sure, right? Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, this morning as we uh, look at this wonderful uh, letter that Paul wrote to Titus, we ask, please, that you would help us to see uh, the, the importance of having leaders and teachers who hold truthfully to your word and who live it out. We ask that you would show us both what we need to have in order to, to be wise as we uh, look to those who lead us, but also then how to strive to be ourselves like this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're getting into the book of Titus over the next three weeks uh, as, as we have a break over the school holidays and before we come back and get into Ephesians, which is going to be next term. Now, wh why is it so important to have good Christian leaders? In, in particular, to have good teachers as our Christian leaders. I mean, is, isn't it enough just to have a, a really good pastoral guy? You ever heard that one before? You know, we've got we to get the, 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 the minister in who's just, he's, he's just really good at visiting, right? Makes a mean cup of tea, always brings biscuits and visits everyone. Is, isn't that enough? Or perhaps the, the charismatic leader, the visionary who can pull us along into this bigger, better future, right? We need someone like that. Why is it so important to have good Christian leaders, in particular, good teachers. Now, Paul clearly thought that it was important enough that he needed to leave his right-hand man, Titus, in Crete to set up these structures, to put in place Christian leaders. Have a look with me at verse 5 in Titus chapter 1. Now, by the way, if you haven't opened your Bible yet, I'm going to give you a little bit of work to do in a minute. So if you don't have a Bible, you'll want one right? I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm warning you now, right? Fair warning, you might as well open it now, okay? If you don't have one, there should be one in the pews around you. Uh, if you can't see one right in front of you, there will be one behind you, one in front of you somewhere. You want a Bible for today. Uh, and Titus is page 1000, and was it 58, Adam? What's on the slide? <coughs> 1058, right? There you go. If you've got a pew Bible, that's where you can find Titus chapter 1. <clears throat> right, so verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. We don't know when Paul for sure was in Crete, there's a couple of different points in time when he could have been there, but either way, it seems he wasn't there long enough to set it all up. He preached the gospel, presumably as he did everywhere, and then had to leave and he leaves Titus behind to set it up. And so as we read Titus 1 today, what makes for good Christian leaders, what makes for bad Christian leaders, and why does it matter, is where we're headed today. So let's talk first of all about good Christian leaders, about elders, appoint elders, he says, and look at with me at verse 6, here's his description of what to look for. An elder must be blameless. The husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught 
so that he will be able to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Now there's two kind of people in view here, there's the elders and there's the overseers. Um, if you want to go back into the Greek, strangely the words that we have kind of mangled into English are the words that we call priest and bishop. Isn't that strange? I mean that's just the Greek, presbyteros and episkopos are the two Greek words but you translate them and it's just elder and overseer. So it's tricky to kind of match it directly into our denominational structures, right? Is he talking about bishops? Is he talking about the rector? Is he talking about assistants? Is he talking about anybody who gets up and leads and teaches? Now, rather than getting into the weeds of the denomination and how it kind of matches one against the other, I think he's just talking about Christian leaders, particularly those who teach particularly those who are given broad oversight, it's in the word, an overseer. So at the very least, he's talking about those that we would set aside as our ministers, that the full-time teachers. But I think you can probably argue to trickle it down into any leader who teaches. And you'll see why when we come to the importance of it. Now this is where I want you to do a little bit of work. I want you to look back down through verses 6 to 9 again and pick one or two of the characteristics of a Christian leader that stands out to you and just mention it to the person next to you. Okay? I'll give you one minute. Look back through it again, verses 6 to 9. What's a characteristic that stands out to you? And just share it with the person who's beside you. I know it's a bit unusual having to do some work in church. What is this? We're meant to be on holidays, say the teachers. <coughs> what stood out to you? I wonder. Yeah, share it. Let's go. Adam, yeah? Yeah. Isn't that, but it's an interesting thought, right? Children who are not accused of what? Faithful children who are not accused. I take it he's talking about children, right? Not, not adults. So adult children, for example, who depart the faith, oh, I think that's what's on view here, he can manage his own household well. Our children will be children, but we, we can see the difference, can't we, between well-behaved children who are still children and those who clearly are unmanaged. Yeah, what else stands out? Not arrogant nor hot-tempered, hot yeah? God has to deal with you. <laughs> yeah, not greedy for money, Julie, was that right? Yeah. Faithful. Yeah, and faithful specifically to the message as taught. Right? They, don't, they don't come up with new ideas, new teachings, always looking for the, the latest interpretation. They hold to the message as taught. The word blameless. It's a heavy word, isn't it, Peter? That carries with it a scary weight. One more? Hospitable. Hospitable. Ah. 
Hospitable and loving. There you go. Can make a decent cup of tea. It was in there after all. Right? Opening their life to others, sharing with them. Isn't there an, an interesting connection here? There's a whole bunch of yes, a whole bunch of things that this man ought to be. Right? I mean, we've mentioned a lot of them. Husband of one wife. I thought that one was interesting. I don't think this means must be married, but certainly means must be monogamous. Now, slightly tricky then for those so-called Christian traditions that say that their elders can't be married at all. It's unusual, given, anyway, right? Faithful children, blameless. And then there's a whole lot of no's in verse 7. Not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money. But I think you can summarise it all under this blameless life and sound doctrine. Holds fast to the message as delivered and lives it out, which is a very important connection, as we'll see in a minute. Now, what's not said? What are the sorts of things that we might well be tempted to look for in those that we put in leadership that isn't in this list? Again, I'm going to give you one minute. You're going to have to imagine these. These aren't in the text. To share it with the person next to you, what's something that we might be tempted to look for in a Christian leader that isn't here? Good or bad? Okay, that's... Um, all right, I'll give you 30 seconds to think and then 30 seconds to share. Time starts now. What do you reckon? Adam's up first again. Great vision setter. setter. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Articulate, charismatic. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to look for that, isn't it, for us? It's easy to go, well, let's, let's go and visit their current church and see what they're like up the front or how well they preach. Or they're, they're very easy things to look at, yeah? Being a good listener. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we value that highly, don't we? That's right, yep. Right, we're not told to look for somebody who's a great administrator or well-organised or who can plan events, who can be a real estate agent. I mean, all the things that we expect our rector to be able to do, right? To run chair meetings and organise committees, good at documentation and being able to uh, organise teams and gather people. And No, this is about the character of the person. So much rests on the character of the leader and that they hold fast to the truth. Now, in contrast, these bad teachers, these wrong elders, well, listen to what they are like in verse 10. There are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It's necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. 
One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true and for this reason rebuke them so that they may be sound in the faith and not pay attention to Jewish myths, the commands of people who reject the truth. In fact, so perverse are they that even pure things become impure. Right? Verse 15, to the pure everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient and unfit for any good work. Now, I can't remember a time when I have stood up here and declared of some other leader in some other church that they are detestable, disobedient and unfit for any good work. That's a little bit strong, isn't it? And yet, fair enough. What are they like? Rebellious. Who are they rebelling against? Well, take it as against God. Because instead of holding to the faithful messages taught, they are full of empty talk and deception. They are making it up. They're coming up with their own truth rather than that of God. And what are they achieving? They're ruining entire households and they're doing it all to get money dishonestly. One of the interesting it said, not greedy for money. So perverse and so twisted that even good things become defiled, impure, corrupt. What a contrast, isn't it, between the moral, upright, godly, faithful, sound doctrine holding and teaching man compared to this immoral, self-serving, disobedient one. Don't put up with them, Paul says. Rebuke them, silence them. But again, why does it matter so much? Why such strong words? Well, I want to come right back up to the verses at the top that we skipped over as we got straight into it. I want to start with this question for you. How do you know God? Big, big question for a cold Sunday morning. How, how do we know God? Well, you could, you could try and think your way there, right? Rationalism says that you can go and sit in a corner quietly and think and you'll eventually arrive at the answer right well if the world is like this then god must be like that i mean you might doze off a little bit here and there right but you work hard at it you think rightly and you'll find that empiricism says that well what we can do is we have to test it we have to formulate hypotheses and then test them right so i'm going to hypothesize that god is a god who answers prayers and so then i'm going to test it by praying in lots of different ways and seeing if god answers any of them right that's that's the empiricist the mystics and there's a lot of them around these days right we have to we have to feel our way to god the experience in my life my intuition will lead me there See, none of those are what the Bible gives as an answer for how do we know God. All of them are a way of humanity reaching to God, whether it's through our brains or our experiments or our emotions and experiences. The Bible is very clear in saying that the only way to know God is by revelation. There's the word that matters. That's not the book in the Bible, right? It's not that in the book of Revelation is the only place we can get to know God. That is the plain meaning of the word that He shows Himself to us. He reveals Himself to us. Actually, that's the only way you can really get to know anybody. 
the things that are in here, you cannot gain access to them without me speaking them to you. You can't cut my brain open and find what I think of you. You can watch what I do and you can listen to my words and that will tell you what I think of you. It's the same with God. The only way to know God, this is, this is crucial by the way, this, if you miss this, you will miss the entire Christian message. The only way to know God is for him to tell us who he is. Listen again to verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read them and then we're going to work through them backwards. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, that God who cannot lie promised before time began, in his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God the Saviour. Now if we get to the end of that and you're sitting there thinking, well, that's okay, right? Paul's sentences are long and complicated. They're like a tangle of fishing line and you just kind of go, this is, what do I even do with it, right? But work with it, let's go backwards for a second. Right, in his own time, God revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted. How do we know God? Well, God has revealed himself, his word, in the apostles' message. Okay, so you start with that. Okay, I've got to listen to the apostles. They are telling me what God has revealed of himself. What have they revealed? Well, what is it that God promised? The hope of eternal life. Oh, that's pretty good. Okay, so now we know about God that he, that he who cannot lie has promised us eternal life. How do we get that eternal life? Well, it comes from godliness. Where does that godliness come from? The knowledge of the truth. Given to, the fa to those who are faithful to God's elect. Did you get the chain? You know God through the preaching of the gospel. What we know of God is that he who cannot lie promises eternal life an eternal life that comes through knowing the truth about God, which leads to godliness. Now that word godliness is, is, is a bit, we've confused it a little bit. We've equated it with goodness. To be godly is to be goodly. <laughs> to be godly is to be moral, is to be well behaved, is to be upright. That's not quite right. Well, let me show you this. What's the opposite of godly? Go on, who, who, who wants to put themselves in the firing line? What's the opposite of godly? Thank you, Peter, for getting it wrong, right? The opposite of godly, Peter says, is ungodly. That's not true. Because it makes us think that it's about morality. It's about being good, right? Ungodly is what we say of people who are bad. The opposite of godly is godless. That's the opposite of godly. Somebody who doesn't have God. Somebody who has no connection to God. It isn't that as we learn the truth, we become good people, and as we become good people, we then gain eternal life. No, as we learn the truth, we get connected to God. We become God-full. We become godly. You see, how do we know God's plans for us and for eternity? Well, because He's declared it, because He's spoken it. 
because he proclaimed it through the apostles preaching this gospel of jesus who died and was raised and i'll tell you what that is why teachers matter because if you want godliness that brings with it the hope of eternal life what you need is the knowledge of the truth it's why the work of the christian minister above all else is the proclamation of the message of the apostles you can't think your way to god you can't observe your way to god you cannot reach to god you must listen and learn as he tells you who he is and who you need to be that's why what matters the most about our teachers is that they are faithfully holding on to the message as taught that they can convey the message as taught so that they can encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it but it's also why it's so important that they live it you see at the end of the day we are talking about a message that changes lives the gospel of the lord jesus christ is meant to come with the truth of god and produce godliness this connection to god that changes life what does it say about the content of someone's message if it hasn't changed their life well either the message itself is wrong or they've got it wrong yeah i'll tell you what it's, it's why it's why it's such a problem when ministers are part of a scandal i, I hope and pray that you that never happens in this church and that you're not have you don't have to face it because it is truly terrible i've been in churches where it's happened the problem is every single person who ever heard the teaching of that individual now questions it because if the truth is meant to bring about a transformed life and this individual does not have a transformed life then have they taught me the truth it's so utterly destructive titus i left you in crete to set right what was left undone to appoint elders who are blameless who hold fast to the truth as taught now what do we do with this i mean in some ways this is a great passage if i was preaching to a room full of ministers right right you guys you've all got to be blameless you've got to hold fast to the doctrine right what do we do with it <clears throat> well i've got six points of application all right here we go six points number one this is for you if you are a leader if you are somebody particularly who teaches god's word we need to hold on to that truth god has revealed himself what we have are the very oracles of god himself that we have been entrusted with such that we will teach god's people rightly it is a weighty burden feel it as such or as paul says elsewhere guard your life and doctrine closely hold to the truth and teach the truth and live a life that is changed by that truth secondly if you aren't a leader i still think this is something to strive for there's a reason these are the sorts of qualities that titus was to look for in an elder because these are the sorts of things that the gospel produces this is the sort of character i mean isn't that a wonderful description wouldn't you like to be like that 
What a marvelous thing to have others say of you, yes, that person is blameless, faithful in their marriage. Their children are well managed and growing up in the Lord. They aren't arrogant. They're not hot-tempered. They don't drink too much. They're not a bully. They're not greedy for money. What a wonderful thing to have other people look at you and say, they're so hospitable. They're so loving. They're so generous and welcoming and kind. They're so self-controlled and disciplined. Man, they hold to the truth and nothing moves them from it. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to have said of you? Third point of application. Should the time come when you have to appoint elders? Now, in our context, most formally that happens in the selection of a rector. But I think it happens in lots of different ways. And in fact, you could even think about it as who do I want to submit to? What leaders do I want to place myself under? Well, there's the list to use. Again, it's easy to get sucked in by the charismatic, by the, those who've got the gift of the gab, those who can talk, like golden lips. But actually, what is their life like? What is their character like? What is their doctrine like? Fourthly, are you praying for your leaders? And do you pray this for them? I don't know what your Bible study groups are like. Mine often goes something like, what can I pray for you? Oh, I'm a bit sick. <laughs> I'm busy. Right? There's a big thing coming up. I'm anxious about whatever it is. Oh, all good things to pray for. How about we start putting a bit of this in? Pray for your elders. Fifthly, be wary of teachers on the internet. And I'll tell you why you need to be wary of them. Because you can't see their life. I mean, if, if this is what a, a, an elder is supposed to be like, so much of this, the only way is that you can be in relationship with them. How do you know if they're hospitable? How do you know if they are hot-tempered? How do you know if their family is well-managed? That's dangerous, isn't it? I mean, we have access to arguably the best Bible teachers in the world. We can listen to them. We can listen to their entire back catalogue. We can listen to them every week. Just be wary. You don't know their life. And so sixthly, and most importantly really, please listen to God. <laughs> the pathway to godliness, the pathway that comes with the hope of eternal life, is by listening to the knowledge of the truth which God revealed in his own time through the word which the apostles laid down and which we continue to listen to today. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Titus 1. We thank you for this uh, picture, this wonderful picture of leaders, elders, teachers within your church. We thank you for those who've come before us, who taught us your word, passing it down faithfully all the way from the apostles, those who were first commended with your word. And Father, we thank you for the content of what you have revealed, that you are a God who has promised eternal life to us. You who cannot lie. We praise you for your work in the Lord Jesus.
And we thank you in his name. Amen.